Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your prolific writer podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton, and I am really glad that you stopped by however you found us. If you are on the train, on a plane, in a house, on a treadmill, however you found us, we are here for some writing awesomeness and goodness and other nesses. And this is the the place where we are dedicated to writing fast and writing often and writing well where I have the privilege of interviewing some of the most prolific writers on the planet. And I hope you've enjoyed the show thus far. If it's your first time here, well, welcome. Glad you're here. Say hello. This is episode number 17, and we're growing up fast. Teenage years, thinking about high school, thinking about college, moving on. It's good times. And uh, so episode number 17, we have a great one for you. Craig Martell is stopping by the show and Craig has a unique story. He is a former military. It seems like we have a lot of former military that get into the writing gig, former military. He is one of the most prolific writers on the scene. Probably as I'm saying these words, he's probably finished at least four more books, um, maybe five. And I think when we interviewed him, he had just finished three more books or something insane. Very diligent, very disciplined, writes eight to 12 hours, five hours a day, just depends on the day. Very uh, processed, has everything down, loves to write, loves science fiction. He's written some science fiction and some other things. And you're going to really enjoy this podcast and learn a lot from Craig. And he writes really great books. And we talk a little bit about what it means to be a modern pulp writer and, and what that means and how he's gotten better as a writer and his process and how it's evolved. And um, and also something interesting about Craig's story is that uh, 
you know, he's a retired military and he's also was a lawyer at a time and had some other jobs and ran, ran some businesses and things and really writes. He doesn't have to write. There's nothing making him write, um, but he just really enjoys it. He doesn't have to write to make money. He, he has a pension and he's okay. Um, but he, but he does really well. And, and it really just began to, to show me too, is that, that the reason we write is not for money. I hope that's not your reason. If it is, you're going to be very disappointed, but we write because we have to write. And Craig is a testament and testimony to that is that he doesn't need a paycheck. He doesn't need anything really. And yet he just continues to diligently hours and hours a day, write and write and write and love sharing his stories and love sharing his work. And so a uh, really great, great story, really great guy. I was really um, thankful. He gave us time and out of his busy schedule because he is writing 400 books a day. And, uh, and so hopefully you're really encouraged by this and, um, and just really find, inspiration and remembering why we write again, it's not for money, not for fame. And if it is, you'll be very disappointed. Um, and so we write for the love because we have to, and it's something we can't shut off, but it's something we enjoy. And so I hope you, you really are writing for the joy. A couple quick updates on me, uh, have a book coming out. Actually, it's already out. I think I mentioned it last week called the boardwalk. You can check that out. And I, I write that under a, it's actually through our publishing uh, company that I run rockhousepublishing.com. You can check out all the books there. It's called the boardwalk, um, under a different name and a pen name, and you'll see it there. And, uh, also have another, uh, couple books coming out, some fiction and nonfiction. I'll give you more information next week, but go check out the boardwalk. People are liking it. It's, it's a fun story and I hope you'll enjoy it too. Have some other cool stuff coming down the, the pipe for rock house publishing. Um, looking at we're we're, we're in the process and, and I don't think this is too soon to, to share some of this, but, but in the process of, of creating kind of a world-class, um, kind of two courses, uh, writing courses. One is going to be kind of a jump start your writing, kind of a, a basics, get in there, get it going, get it rocking, getting the words down, finishing those books. But, but also thinking about why I have hesitation to write motivations to write, um, tactics of how to write, how to get it out there, how to design, how to format all those kinds of things to kind of get your work out in the world. We're, we're working on a jump start course. And so we'll keep you apprised for that. And then we're also working kind of a, a beefier, bigger course, uh, kind of a master's class course that will just dig into a lot of these things a lot further, a lot deeper and creating kind of a community around that and people that are writers and aspiring writers that want to write more and, and get the work out in the world. So, so keep apprised to that. Um, if you think of it, leave us a review on iTunes, uh, the prolific writer podcast. Love to have your feedback and uh, people have been liking the show and enjoying it. So I'm going to get right to it to Craig Martell and hope you enjoy this, this interview and uh, we'll talk to you guys real soon. Well, hey, Craig, thanks for uh, coming on the show. And uh, hey, so last count, I counted 28 books. Um, is that a correct number or am I missing a few? Oh, there's some omnibuses and things like that, but that's uh, it's 20. Yeah, it's 20 something. OK, um, I have heard you say and I, I like this phrase because I, I, I agree and I think it's something that's important and, and becoming more popular, I think, and not in a negative sense, but you've used the word, I'm a pulp writer. 
Um, what does that mean to you? Okay, hey, Pulp Fiction is we don't get so wrapped around every single word, but what we do is we try to tell the story. Uh, I go back to my first book, and it makes me cringe, uh, some of the wording that I used, mm. which I review each book, and I try to get better with each book. And getting better, I'm also getting faster. But I still write pulp in that the story is paramount, uh, opposed to having the perfect wording or uh, demonstrating a 20,000-word vocabulary and, and things that, that might lose readers. I, I write uh, – one of my series was a Young Adult, YA. So I think I only used maybe 4,000 unique words in that story, and it was okay. It resonated really well. It sold well. And in the newest series, uh, I'm expanding my vocabulary a little bit, the, the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles. But still, it, it comes down to telling the story, crafting the sentences in a way that the story flows. And, and I don't belabor the language trying to find that perfect paragraph. Sometimes it comes out. Sometimes it's a little hard. And the great thing about uh, our refined process now is I write in, in pulp style, telling the story and getting the words down and going back and making sure uh, uh, I've, I've told the story the way I want to, that it the people see what I see. My editor reviews it and checks to make sure that the language is right, the grammar is right, and then she also asks a lot of questions. And then with, uh, with Michael Anderley, we use just-in-time readers, and that's eight to ten people who who pour over the book. They'll read it in four to six hours, and then they provide a lot of feedback. And that's where uh, paragraphs aren't clear, where I jammed them out. It made sense to me, and uh, and we fix that kind of stuff. So it's pulp, but the review process is pretty extensive. It it's quick, but it's still extensive. So I'd like to think it's uh, it's uh, let's say pulp plus. Sure. Yeah, because I mean, back in the day, the the you know traditional pulp writers, I mean, they didn't have word processors to go back and edit, and they had to get it out in you know one one pass or two passes, and you know nobody wants to go back and rewrite on a typewriter, and uh, <laughs> yeah. and and obviously, I mean, I I think it's a myth that you know writing fast is somehow inferior or there's not quality because obviously people are reading your books and. Um, yeah. You know, there's tons of, of writers that are writing, you know, 10, 20, 30 books in the last, you know, few years. And and people enjoy the story because I think you're right. I think it's not about the flowery language. I think it's about a good story. And and because uh, and we've all I mean, we've all read books that that were poorly written, but it was a great story. And we've read, you know, books that were written with it really well. And the story was terrible. So I don't I don't think it, there's always yeah. a, a connection there. And, yeah, uh, it's not mutually exclusive. I agree, right. Ryan. Right, and and I think you know, and I, I think there's also this this weird thing that's going on about, um, you know, the dumbing down of culture and you know ebooks and people just aren't aren't intelligent and we can't handle big words or whatever. But but I th I don't think it's that. I think it actually has more to do with our time. I think it has to do with, you know, people don't have you know eight hours of free time to go through a thousand page Stephen King book. You know, they'd they, 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 they'd rather read you know a couple hundred pages or three hundred pages on the train or working out or, you know, it's just t time and media are just different different today um, than it once was. You bet. I I think you're right on the spot there, in regard to people's time. Uh, J.W.R. Tolkien wrote, what, five books in his lifetime, and they are 
uh, four masterpieces and then the Silmarillion, which is, I find, completely unreadable, uh, uh, where he demonstrates that uh, if there's 40,000 words in the English language, he's going to use all 60,000 of them. Right. So uh, uh, you can have that perfect language, but are you telling something that people want to read? Because the Silmarillion uh, reads like uh, uh, the book of Genesis in, in the Bible, and, and where this person begot that person begot the next person, and it's and, and some of it's very difficult. So are you telling a story that people want to read? Uh, and that's the thing about the, the pulp-style books, where there's a series of 6, 10, 20 books that uh, tells the story, gives a little bit of insight into the characters, and it's a, it's a completely different genre and style and a different readership that that inhales that kind of stuff. Maybe like the uh, Harlequin romance readers from the 60s. Hmm. I think that's interesting you bring up Tolkien because um, I was just reading something about C.S. Lewis and you know Tolkien and Lewis were friends. And, yes. and actually Lewis was the one that would constantly say, you know, when you write, you need to be clear. You know, if you're going to going to die anywhere be clear about your wording and your verbiage and your stories i mean if you go read his you know sci-fi and read chronicles of narnia i mean he's very clear he, he doesn't you know he's a great storyteller and uses great language but he's very clear he's not verbose i mean tolkien takes 10 pages to describe a tree you know and and you go well that's great but i need to keep it going you know um but yeah, clearness. I think clearness and straightforwardness, and you know, telling a good story are again are, are things that I think our, our listeners need to um, you know embrace and not worry so much. Because I I think the rookie writer tends to get lost in the verbiage and gets tend to lost in the language too much, um, and that's why they don't create any work and they don't share work is because they're so worried about getting that one sentence, that one paragraph, that one you know chapter perfect, and they never actually you know produce anything. Well, perfection is the enemy of good. Mm. The uh, you, you look at C.S. Lewis, <clears throat> very prolific, very profound works, and the Chronicles of Narnia were what six books mm-hmm. of maybe twenty five thousand words each. Sure. They're very short, but they're great, great stories. And he continued the story even though each one had a, had different character set and and uh, and told a different kind of uh, parable uh, style almost. It, love those books, and mm-hmm. but it's great reading. And uh, C.S. Lewis had the opportunity to then make more money, which is what the Twenty Books Group is about. It's how can you make a profit? How can you make your hobby uh, pay you back? Mm-hmm. There's how do you find people that are willing to pay for what you're willing, what you write? Sure. And if you write something that people can't read, that they don't like, they're not going to pay for it. So you give them something that they like. You give them something that that, that resonates. Uh, flawed characters doing hard tasks. Very true. Very true. Well, that, that's a good segue. So I wanted to get into um, partly. I wanted to have you on the show because I think you have a really fascinating story of how you actually came into writing, and uh, you were in the Marine Corps for uh, quite a few years. And I mean, that's a natural progression, you know, Marine Corps to writer. Um, in you know, <laughs> yeah. Fairbanks, Alaska, it's all you know rational and all fits together. But I'd love for you to, to talk about just your path to writing, um, how that kind of began, where the influences came from, um, you know, why why writing, you know, after the Marine Corps, why not, you know, ditch digging or, you know, selling things on eBay, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, talk a little bit, talk to us a little bit about your story. The, I'd say it started 
in uh, in the 1970s. I was a teenager growing up not far from Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And this upstart company came up with a new concept of games, uh, and that was a, a TSR with Dungeons & Dragons. They were initially tactical studies rules, and they were less than a three-hour drive away. And I went over to Lake Geneva on weekends and, and would play games in the old dungeon and met some of the heavy hitters, uh, uh, Gary Gygax uh, and uh, Jim Ward. And actually, I'm doing an anthology with Jim Ward this year on his original Metamorphosis Alpha, a uh, the original, the first science fiction role-playing game. So that's my background. I had all of this stuff, great imagination, uh, 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 loved the stories that those games helped you tell. And then I went in the Marine Corps, 21 years in the Marine Corps, uh, Marine Corps intelligence. I always read a lot of material, produced a lot of reports, technical kind of reports that uh, weren't really where you didn't get to get uh, get too creative. Then uh, after I retired, I went to law school and uh, they kind of strap you in there. You, you can't get too imaginative. Of course, imagination is good. However, it's not storytelling. Mm-hmm. You got to use facts in there if you want to win a case. And then uh, I, I was hired as a business consultant after I got my law degree. Uh, and then worked that for seven years, and that's when I just retired from that because I was tired of being gone. It was very lucrative, mind you, mm-hmm. and very fulfilling working with people and helping them uh, take their businesses to the next level. But I was gone over 50% of my life from home, and uh, mm-hmm. I retired from the Marine Corps because I didn't like uh, I, I got tired of deploying. So then I sat here at home, and uh, I, I'm a workaholic. And I can't just sit here and do nothing. Uh, watching TV and eating bonbons isn't really for me. Uh, a good retirement plan, mind you. However, I, I, I still needed something to do. So I sat down to write my first book. And uh, my plan was a 1,000 words a day. And and a lot of days I had a hard time reaching that because I wasn't into the story. I didn't understand how to, how to tell it. did a lot of research. And 61 days later, I actually had a 100,000-word book. And my plan was I'll sit on it for a month, I'll write another book, and I'll come back to it with a fresh mind, read through it, and edit it. And uh, when I reread it after that month, it was a good story, but it was, it was flawed in, in how it jumped around and some of the language. And I, I, was, uh, I would stop mid-sentence and, and then not continue, so like half sentence here and there. Hmm. Uh, so I powered through it. I edited it like 10 times. I was, I was disgusted with the writing process because... I couldn't get it perfect. And then finally, I'm like, I, I really want these other stories, the science fiction stories that I wrote, uh, to f- see the light of day. And as long as I keep messing around with this first book, so I jumped on Amazon and I hit publish, a, uh, a relatively unedited book with a really, really bad cover that is uh, that I did myself, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and there we are. But uh, that's when I met Michael Anderley after uh, publishing two or three books, so very serendipitous in being able to meet an individual like him and Scott Paul and Kat Lind and uh, those those folks who have helped me immensely in the process of what it takes to publish as an independent author as well as one who is dedicated to the craft. So uh, published three books uh, and the first book actually found a traditional publisher who saw the potential and said, well, we need to change the title we need to change the covers. We need to change everything except about 50% of the book. So <laughs> it, 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 it was enough that uh, I bought into it, and uh, that was a 100,000-word book 
that is now 270,000 published words and, I just heard this morning, is uh, in Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble has just picked it up. Well, great. So tell me a little bit about that first book. So the first book, what genre was that first book in? It was uh, survival, post-apocalyptic survival in Alaska. Okay. It was right about what you know. Okay. And so you started with the post-apocalyptic, but you said you really wanted to write sci-fi. Now, is sci-fi yes. kind of what you, you grew up on, what you enjoyed reading? Where did the sci-fi part come from? Exactly. It's what I enjoyed reading, and also the Dungeons & Dragons mindset. Uh, I could never get my head wrapped around magic, but Metamorphosis Alpha, the here's a derelict colonization ship that has life still on board. Okay, how do they mutate? What kind of uh, uh, high-technology tools can a low-tech person use, and how can a high-tech person use those tools to their, their benefit? So that's, that's how my mind has always worked, and that's, that's where we are now with uh, the stuff that I write. Uh, the Free Trader series, uh, I call it Science Fiction Adventure, mm -hmm. because it's that, a kind of a wandering uh, guy who finds technology and uh, can commune with animals and, and moves on. Uh, and it's, uh, I, just, I just love that story. I love that mm -hmm. approach. Now, are you, are you one that says, you know, I, I need to, <clears throat> I mean, I know people go think about this di differently is, you know, I only want to write sci-fi because that's what my audience expects or that's what they enjoy. Um, are there other genres that you're kind of looking at or hope to write in? Or is it kind of like, you know, hey, if I just write sci-fi the rest of my life, that's fine? I, my first four books, because I, I wrote the survival book, uh, and then I wrote two science fiction novels, and then I thought, hey, let me try a thriller. I, I, I enjoy Tom Clancy, and I, mm -hmm. I, I really liked my time in, the Marine, in Marine Corps intelligence. So I wrote a book called uh, People Raged and the Sky Was on Fire, which is a thriller uh, chasing terrorists in D.C. as a, a contractor with the CIA. So that's about as close to an autobiography as I'm ever going to get. And also I will tell you that that's probably the very best book I've written in regards to the quality of the language and the engagement of the story. Uh, uh, so... But that one never sold. It probably to this day has only sold seventy-five copies. Mm -hmm. The very best book I wrote, but it was it was a thriller. The science fiction novels in the post-apoc we re-released -re my first book as the End Times Alaska series in the summer, and I released because now it's that that series was already written. I released the the Free Trader sci-fi book, so I was releasing two books a month in the summer. And that really jumped my author ranking, my visibility, my, my revenue. Everything good came from, from that, those two genres, which are both science fiction but, but different. Mm -hmm. and, and so, um, you know, the, the advice is, you know, write what you know. So obviously you, you started with writing. Well, at least you, you tried a thriller, maybe more in the, the <laughs> yeah. military vein, kind of, sort of. Um, how has your military background and, and lawyer background and life experience, how does that kind of flood into your writing? I mean, what, what do you take from it? What do you, what do you put in there? Is it, is it conscious? Is it subconscious? Um, talk a little bit about that. I, I actually actively put Marines in every one of my books. So in my survival series, it was an old retired Marine who, uh, after his career was old and broken. Uh, not unlike myself, but uh, mm -hmm. the Free Trader series was a young man 
who then went through his life and had a military slant, and that's he used uh, uh, his weapons and his abilities uh, with tactics to overcome the enemies of, of peace. So I always have that in there. I think I write combat scenes well uh, from personal experience, uh, hand-to-hand combat training and things like that. And then uh, the Space Opera series was uh, the establishment of a new Marine Corps after 4,000 years. And then the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles, Terry Henry himself was a former Marine. So, so very, very uh, embedded in, in what I write. And it helps, that also helps me write faster. I don't have to research that stuff. Hmm. I, can, I can just write and flow through it. Hmm. So I've been, I've been reading this book. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called, called Spark um, and the Grind. It's by Eric Wall. And it's, it's subtitles, Ignite the Power of Disciplined Creativity. And uh, what he argues in the book is there's two things. There's one thing called the spark, and there's one thing called the grind. And the spark is kind of our creative side. It's our muse. It's our inspiration. And then the grind is the actual discipline, the action, the structure, the processes that actually put in the work and get the work done. And he says, you know, as artists, we want to kind of bring those two together. And uh, I see you as someone who's, who's, who's got the, the, the creative spark, you know, the art, the craft, and then, but it's also the grind, the the discipline, the structure, the putting, you know, writing thousands of words every day, and you know, uh, production and, and processes and all that. Um, t- talk to us a little bit about kind of where that comes from, um, and how you keep going, and how you keep creating, and um, you know, obviously you don't. I mean, it sounds like I could be wrong, but it doesn't sound like you ha- you have to be doing this. I mean, you have a retirement. You're, you know, it sounds like you're doing okay, but. Um, but, but talk a little bit about that, kind of the creative side and the grind side, the discipline side, and how those things kind of work together. I, I really like that. That sounds like a great book and a great premise because you do have to have the creativity to come up with a story and then some formulaic elements of what works in a good story, and then you have to actually grind it out. Um, you want? Uh, I, I think I have pretty good self-discipline. And let me give you an example. Uh, yesterday evening, I opened a sleeve of Thin Mints because the pushers the, the pushers are out in front of all the stores now, and uh, I only ate half of it. <laughs> That's serious <laughs> discipline. <laughs> well, after this, I'm probably going to go eat the rest. Right. The uh, <clears throat> I set a goal for myself. I've always been a, a workaholic and and have that drive. I set a goal for myself of 3,000 words a day. I like seeing 5,000. I like uh, those days where 10,000 words flow. Uh, I don't get upset if I only get 1,000. That's okay uh, because I'm still going to average over 3,000 words a day every single day because I write every single day. I can't take a day off. Um, I think that's important because I always get behind the keyboard and I always have something that I'm going to write down. Some, some areas flow better than others. Some I have to research, and that slows things down. But it's still every day getting those words. I have a, a spreadsheet open. I use two monitors, and the spreadsheet's on one of the monitors. That has my, my world-building notes for anything that I need, who are the characters, who's in the squad, and uh, what are their key traits. And then on the other one is the big screen is my, my text uh, in the manuscript. So I, I track those words and I track the story. And you're right; I don't have to work. I don't. I don't need the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's good. It's nice. I mean, who doesn't like to go to Hawaii? So, sure. Sure. Uh, 
it, it's something to do, and also there's that level of of of, of ego, my personal drive to be successful no matter what I do and and selling books is, is an important metric it's a it's a measure uh, my author rank today was 613 overall in all of Amazon and that's the lowest it's ever been and I, I, I think that's that also is a measure even though author rank is kind of a fluid dynamic and it doesn't necessarily equate to books sold but it does with that kind of number, book, books are flying off the shelves, and I, I, I like that. It's, it, it tells me that uh, what I'm doing matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the people have contacted me and said, hey, the story has uh, – it, it, it resonated with me, or this character resonated, and, and those things are incomparable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love hearing this because I, you know, a lot of what Eric Wall talks about in his book is, is if you have the spark but you don't have the grind, then you never really – produce anything and you never share anything but if you also have the grind and you don't have the spark you also you know create inferior work and you you really just kind of stumble along and there's not a there's not a joy there's not a sense of i really actually enjoy telling stories and i enjoy create the creative side of it the creative process um what would you tell someone you know because i hear this conversation all the time about art and business and business and art and and for for me i actually see them as very similar actually but um, you, you know, that are wrestling with, you know, I know I need to promote my books. I know I need to market my books, but I also need to write the book. So, you know, how, how do you live in that tension? Because because obviously you're you're fairly good at marketing and, and, you know, sharing your stuff, too. It's not just the writing of the books. Um, but how do we kind of live in that tension? <clears throat> that, that's a good question. I think that's one of those ones that uh, people have to answer for themselves. Uh, know what you're good at. And don't let that take all of your attention away because I'm, I'm very good at the business side of it, business diagnostics. That's what I worked as uh, as a consultant for seven years. So I do the business. I've got the spreadsheets. I've got self-calculating with uh, lookup tables and all kinds of weird stuff so it can calculate and look at my data a different way. But it's important to get that data by having books that people want to read and, uh, and uh, writing helps me do that because I can escape and get into the story. Marketing is always difficult, even no matter who you are, still trying to find that message that resonates. You come up with something that's perfect and it doesn't resonate and you, and you have to accept that I've got to change it. Well, the people aren't getting my message. Well, that's right, <laughs> even though it's a great message. Uh, and that's probably one of the toughest things is is taking feedback from readers who say, this isn't what I see. This cover says something completely different from what you're trying to tell me. And that's uh, that, that's probably the hardest thing. So I think setting your ego aside is critical for like a long-term career in writing. You can't uh, you can't ever tell a reader they're wrong uh, unless you've got 100 uh, 100 readers and 99 say one thing and the other will say this is paranormal and you say no no it's not actually. <laughs> so uh, the readers you have to listen to them even if uh, even if they may be off base, but you got to look at why did they come up with that perception? Did they skip over something that was so critical? And if they could skip over it, how did I write it in there that it was skippable? Was it in the middle of some boring list of things that were being done? And then revelation, more boring stuff, and then you go into more action. That that would be on me if, if uh, I helped them where they missed something. So I try to read all those comments and then just do better with the next book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but think, I, but that, that wasn't your your question was about the uh, 
uh, balancing those aspects. Uh, the hardest thing you'll ever do is write the book, and then after you've written the book, you find out that that's only 50% of the battle. So you have to partition your mind and your life with that in mind, that you've got to write the book because you can't sell something you haven't written. You can't edit a blank page. But then you have to get it into the hands of readers, and you find readers that like your stuff. Now you want to establish a relationship, your newsletter, and and have them to a point where they're helping you market your books because they believe and they want to create more believers. And that is the snowball effect that uh, we don't do straight line uh, estimates. I just need to sell 10 books a day every day this year. You're never going to do that. You're going to sell one today, five tomorrow, 50 the next day. It's like a logarithmic uh, logarithmic line. It's going to climb way up. And then you're going to lose visibility and it's going to drop like a rock. Well, how do you better manage that? And so what you do is you release books, which your, your podcast and your audience, I hope, understand that, that you release books with a certain frequency. You get those peaks. You get those valleys. And then that balance over time is a number that you can live with, whether it's 10 books a day or 1,000 books a day. It's, it's that, that uh, average number that says, hey, this is, this is a career. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell someone that says, Craig, that sounds great for you, um, but h- how do I become more prolific? How, how do I go from, maybe I only release one book a year, how, how do I kind of get that average up? I mean, how do I get a book or two or, or you know, let's say a book a quarter, you know, would be a, a worthy goal? Because obviously, you know, if you're an indie published, you know, independent author, you, you need more um you know, shelf space. You need you need your stuff yeah. out there because that's the best marketing. So, so what would yep. be some things that you would say? You know, here's some things that you can kind of do to kind of up up, kind of up your game a little bit. Daily goals. The the most important thing I did was that daily goal of a thousand words a day, mm-hmm. and tracking that because then it's like okay, if I produce, it, if you write a book a quarter, if you want to publish a book a quarter, a thousand words a day. After two months, you have 60,000 words. That's a good-sized book no matter where you are. Okay, it's not epic fantasy where you might need 200,000 words, but generally 60,000 words is a decent story. And in the the kind of market market where they like – the readers like frequency, they're okay with 60,000 words. That's two months, 1,000 words a day. Uh, Most people can type that in 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, I'm different because I, I get to do this full time. But if you have a day job, and I respect the hell out of anybody who has a day job and can write a book, and it's not it's not beyond the the realm of of possibility, because that thousand words a day, you get it down, you can get a template off Create Space and Word, and then you just jam the the words into the chapters that they already have there. And that's what I did I, after struggling with formatting my first book. So I had a template. Now I have. Uh, a story in mind, and then you hit those points. What do you want to say? <clears throat> uh, the the plot is important. You need to think about that. But telling the story, getting it down first, because you can't get better unless you practice. And there's no practice for a writer besides writing. Uh, Tiger Woods didn't get to be the great golfer he was because he never practiced. He practiced an insane amount uh, as he was growing up. And, and other people did the same thing. You don't just magically become great at something. And that's probably one of the biggest drawbacks for writers is your first book, it's your first book. However, when you hand it to your friends and say, hey, could you read this? My book, I wrote a book. And it's not going to be the, your best work. 
because you haven't practiced enough yet. And if it is, well, then you are you are the exception to the rule. Most people, they learn as they go. Mm. And uh, you get that negative feedback, and that can be crushing. Hey, this book was okay. However, uh, the, the, the kiss of words, uh, the kiss of death words for new authors. So go, let's go back a little bit into your process, because I heard you say, you know, you started, you wrote this 100,000-word monster that was terrible but somehow a traditional publisher still wanted it and um you know you said you were having a hard time you know getting even a thousand words a day um what were you know and you talked a little bit about story too you know just like i wasn't good at telling a story you did some research so so what were some kind of like little little experiences or little things that you kind of learned along the way that really helped you become one more prolific but also one um, you mentioned, you know, goals and um, word goals, but also telling a better story. I mean, what were some things that you said, you know, I really snuck at this and I kind of started to understand this. Um, you know, do you think about that now as you kind of write stories or are you kind of beyond that? I, I, I think I think now I don't spend as much time doing that as as probably I could, because when I first started, I was like, well, what did I like in stories? What resonates well? So. I would write for a couple hours, but then I would read for a couple hours. Oh, hey, I like how they worded that. I like how they worked this character in. I like how they showed me and didn't tell me he was upset. They showed me that he was stamping his foot and his his uh, uh, mouth was his jaws were clenched. Okay, hey, I can do that instead of saying, "Boy, was he upset." That that's boring for the reader. It, it doesn't get them involved in the story. But telling them he stamped his foot and his his jaws were clenched. Uh, okay, now they can kind of start looking at it and draw their own conclusions. And to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader too. Read read stories you like and write and, and pick up those hints. Pick Read good uh, authors. Mm-hmm. Stephen King is exceptional at storytelling. Mm-hmm. Read his stuff. Anybody, uh, Tom Clancy, Hunt for Red October, what a great book if you want to read a thriller, especially how the plots intertwine. That's where he's carrying on it's chronological. However, he's got three things going on at once. Those are those are also great tips that any writer can take away. Let's uh, let's go even further. So uh, now your process uh, outlining Panzer. Where are you at as far as you know? When you have a story idea, you're in a series. I mean, what's kind of the kind of the production before you start actually putting you know words on paper? What does that look like for you? I. I, I am the total pantser. I don't write any plot points down before I start. I think about them because I take my uh, my dog, Phyllis, the Arctic dog, uh, uh, for walks every day. And during those walks, I'm trying to think about what the story, how, uh, what the story is we want to tell. So the most important thing for me personally is the last page. What does success look like for these characters in this story so if i can see that if i can visualize the last page then i can do everything i need to in the book to get there Hmm. and as soon as i start writing the first chapter with the the three plot lines and that's michael anderley's uh uh, point and his challenge to me is is have those three plot lines intertwining that then take us to the end end of the the book so at the end of that first chapter, I can tell you how long that book is going to be within a couple thousand words, usually. And then once you have once you have that, do you, do you kind of just is that how you kind of craft your goals as far as your word goals and you know words per day, or does that just 
Is that irrelevant? It's I, I just still shoot for three thousand words a day, not okay. not like one thousand in each plot line. So a set number of words, and still marching towards that end page. So you could say I write the the last page first, and then everything else in the book leads up to that. Okay. So um, so you you know you're retired. You you know have obviously some pension some money you know you're writing you're, you're not de- you're not dependent on your writing to you know pay your bills um and obviously when you started you you made your own covers you said they were horrible um you know one of the one of the frustrations i hear a lot of starting writers and i think sometimes it even keeps them from beginning is one you know i can't afford covers two i can't afford editing three i don't have you know the right you know fancy software or whatever um what would you say to, to someone just starting out that's, that's trying to kind of write more and obviously they don't have a huge budget and they're, you know, maybe not making any money off their writing, but, um, you know, as far as editing, covers, formatting, you know, all that kind of stuff, how would you kind of say, here's some, here's some cheap solutions or, or cost-effective solutions to kind of create a good book? I mean, that's, that's readable, that's, that's nicely formatted, nicely designed. What, what would be some places they could go? <coughs> Oh man, and that that is a, a perfect pitch for the twenty books to fifty k group, because that's where that's where I started. I I, I wrote the book, I edited it ad nauseum, uh, and that's that's literal. I was I was uh, ready to puke if I had to read it one more time. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I made my own cover, so I spent zero money on on producing that first book, and it was published and available on Amazon. So. It was it was a good story, and there was, it was technically flawed in a couple a couple little areas. It wasn't well edited because it, you, you can't do that yourself. You can do somewhat, but not not perfectly. <clears throat> and needed a new cover, but that got me the visibility with the traditional publisher with Winlock Press. So that so they said, hey, we can recraft this, and it will be a great book. It will be a great series, and we'd love to have it. So without publishing it, even if it's not great, it's not perfect. Uh, it's not. Uh, you look at it and say, "Oh man, is this what I want people to think of of me?" Uh, it's still no one will know you exist as an author if you've written a book and you haven't published it. It cost me nothing to get to get on and publish that book. Uh, improving well, that's with groups like Twenty Books. <clears throat> a lot of people provided advice, and if you're willing to help yourself, hey, your cover's bad. Hey, I went back and tried to. I hired some people. Or I tried to, and that was my biggest challenge was finding somebody to do a cover because I'm like, hey, can you have it done next week? And nobody can do that. You need to, uh, <laughs> you need to set it so, hey, three months from now. And then I finally was able to get far enough out in front of the uh, the artists that I I got some very good artists to uh, to help me out. Mm-hmm. And no, I paid for those, but see, I already had a book in, already a couple books, and the, the traditional publisher saying, hey, let's let's make a book. <clears throat> Uh, you have to get it out there because, like I said, perfection is the enemy of good. And good is enough to get you out there and let people see that you either have talent or not. And if you don't, hopefully people are honest enough to say, "This story, I can't get into your story. And you can learn from that. Hey, let me rewrite it. No, no one thing is the kiss of death in, in publishing. Unless you demonize everybody, humans are stupid. Okay, let's not start a book with that. Uh, even though that could, even though that could be a good premise, <clears throat> but uh, uh, 
you can always recraft, put on a new title, whatever you need to do to get back out there and say, hey, here's a book with the changes, with what I've learned. Hmm. And I am a huge, huge fan of continuous improvement. Uh, nobody's first book is perfect, uh, besides J.W.R. Tolkien, The Hobbit and, and The Lord of the Rings were just phenomenal. <laughs> right. For but it wasn't a, he he sat on those for what twenty twenty five years oh, yeah, say before he years. actually <laughs> yeah and that's but he had a job mm-hmm. so <clears throat> uh, uh, if you want to hopefully break out and become a full time author then you need to get your books out there and learn you practice as you go but it's not just I'm going to write twenty books and be a great author I'm going to write one book. I'm going to get feedback. I'm going to fix my process. I'm going to fix my prose. And I'm going to write a second book, and hopefully it's better. Mm. And that's where the 20 Books group, we have a a group of beta readers that are willing to read certain genres. You write urban fantasy, there's a lot of people. So send it out there. Cast it upon the waters and see what comes back. Uh, And then try to improve. If you keep improving, you're going to get to a better place. And at the end of those 20 books, the premise is that you should be making about 50000 or you could be making about $50,000 a year, which isn't uh, – which is – you're not going to be living in a mansion, but that might get you out of a really crappy day job situation that is, is sucking the life out of you. Hmm. No, I, I hear what you're saying about uh, having a community around you is so important. I'm, I'm part of the 20 books group too, and it's, it's such a godsend. I mean I've – been on there and asked a million questions and and you know people i mean literally they they take you by the hand they're like here do this 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 and this and you'll be fine and it's like what you know um the indie community is so generous and i think people don't realize that um because i think you know writers it's very isolating it's you know me and my muse me and my keyboard and we don't think about hey maybe there's someone that can help me do a cover for cheap or you know, maybe there's a resource. Um, you know, one great one I like is GoOnWriting.com, which is uh, they have some great pre-made covers if you're just looking for a solid cover. I mean, 35 bucks, 40 bucks if you just don't want to make your own. Um, yeah. And and then you know you got to just start somewhere, and then you know down the road you make a few bucks. You know, change the covers. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's so many good. I mean, beta readers, friends. Hey, you know, I'll, I'll check that out. I'll look at it. I'll help you out. I, I don't think people realize how willing. Um, you know, especially in the 20 books. I mean, there's people that don't even write and they're just in there like proofreading and, you know, beta yep. reading. And I mean, I asked one, one person, they're like, I don't even write. I'm just a beta reader, you know, and, and sometimes they're the best people because they have a, a unique angle on the story. They're not, you know, writers sometimes kind of, well, if I was writing it, here's what I would do. Um, yeah. But they understand story and they, they read a lot. And so I think that's a, a unique angle on, on our stories. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, cost isn't an excuse, you know, software's not an excuse. I mean, everyone's like, well, if I had better software, you know, it's like, you can use Word, you can use Pages, you can use whatever. Um, yep. you know, you don't need even Scrivener and I mean, even Scrivener's 40 bucks. I mean, it's not gonna, yeah. you know, I've got it and actually I've opened it one time. Right. I, I write in, I write in Word. I'm an old MS DOS guy. So, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm comfortable with that software. I always have a PC and I tried switching over to a Mac and it was, uh, I couldn't do it. Mm. I just, I mean, D-I-R slash W when you want to see your, yeah, I, it doesn't beat that. <laughs> I love it, love it. So l- let me ask you this, and, and just from your experience, and uh, as we kind of, we'll, we'll start kind of winding down our time, but, um, you know, I've heard some different advice on, on when should I actually begin kind of marketing my books? Because you've talked a lot about, you know, practicing, obviously your first book or two or three or 10 aren't going to be that great. 
Um, but, you know, is there any wisdom of just saying, you know, I want to kind of create a catalog of books before I even start putting some money towards marketing or putting money towards sharing the work? I mean, is, is it best just right now to just write the next book and that's your best marketing? What would be kind of your, your insight and experience on that? And under with the understanding that I, I tout myself as a pulp novelist, that uh, uh, I always believe the third book, the third or fourth book, is the, the the clincher, because now you've got a couple extra books to make money on, and you can take your first book to free or ninety nine cents. You can sell a thousand books at ninety nine cents, and thirty five percent royalty would be three hundred fifty bucks, which probably pays for your advertisements to to run that book. Uh, so break even. I sold a thousand books, but I didn't even break even. That's not words that anybody really wants to say. Mm-hmm. So, but if you sell thousand copies of that first book at, at 99 cents, but then they can buy two and three at full price. Now you're going to start making money and seeing the profitability possibilities of being an author. So I, I, I believe that three books, it, it takes three books and in the same series, my first four books were in three different genres, so I didn't realize it until after I had uh, three books in one series and then three books in a second series with the End Times Alaska series. That's when everything really came together very nicely. So here's the question of the day, and it's very divided. The house is divided on this, but um, how do you determine which series to keep writing in um, or bail on it, start another one? Uh, do you move in and out of series, or how do you kind of approach that? Oh, wow. That, what a great question, because I'm struggling with that today. I finished uh, book five in the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles series, and they, that series is doing phenomenally well. Uh, the latest, book four, is currently at about number 250 overall in the whole Amazon store. Uh, <clears throat> my intent was to write the next book in my Cygnus space opera, which would be my third book I in that series. I only have two, and I haven't really marketed it. I've done a 99-cent countdown deal on it, uh, but I haven't marketed that book. I wanted to have the third out. However, the uh, the success of the, the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles is just its stupid money. It's uh, doing so well. So publishing 6, 7, 8, from a business perspective, there's no question six, seven, eight. From a personal perspective, I love my space opera, so I'm wrestling with that right now. It, it all depends on your personal situation. I, I don't need the money, so I could uh, go with my third in my space opera. But I really love the series right now, and I've just wrote I just wrote five books in eleven weeks. So the stories and the process and the characters are all right here. I'm worried that if I now switch over to the other one, when I try to come back to it, I'm going to lose something. So I am uh, really leaning towards continuing uh, to putting my Cygnus 3 on the back burner, despite the fact that I told everybody it's coming out in uh, in April, and uh, uh, continue with the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles and write book six because it's uh, it's cranking. That That series is just going so well as well as the characters in my mind. And I think that's probably the most important thing to tell the compelling story. Uh, I've gotten, uh, for those four books, we've gotten oh, 250 reviews so far. And some of them some of them were bad. And I looked at those, uh, 90% five-star, which is, uh, is, is humbling. But some of the, I, I read the, uh, the two and three-star 
and they said it was missing something. Here's this, and I can see how they got that. And right now, I'm thinking in book six, I can fix all that. I can make that better. I can hit these characters in in the way that they're best perceived as they should be perceived, and I can clean up the language a little bit to to uh, eliminate confusion. So. Uh, from a production standpoint, I can write six probably in the next ten days, whereas that Space Opera Book 3, which I haven't been in that series for five months, so I'm going back and forth trying to remember the characters, remember uh, the names even. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think my decision is made that I'm going to uh, delay that even further and go back to uh, Terry Henry Walton and write Book 6, which the fans of that series will be very happy to hear, I think. Yeah, it sounds like there's some good wisdom to take from that. Just the idea of the book getting kind of cold, you know, where you're really excited about it and you kind of walk away from it too long and then it's just hard to get back into it. Um, but also I think there's some wisdom in, you know, letting a series, you know, rest for a little bit because you're kind of burned out on it. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're kind of going, okay, I've enjoyed these five books, but it's time to write something else. And, you know, and then coming back to it, you know, maybe every other month you're just kind of going in and out. And um, because, you know, obviously the readers are enjoying it and they want more of it. So, um, you know, there, there, there's probably no right answer. Um, yeah. But, you know, if, if a series is going well, hey, why not? You know, that, that's like Lee Child. You know, he write, he's written one series, you know, his Jack Reacher. <laughs> and he, he always talked. They've asked him that many times over, you know, are you going to do anything else? He's like, well. You know, I'm 20 books in, it's going pretty well, so I don't, I don't really need to. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, in your opinion, series, I mean, is that kind of where new writers need to be thinking, you know, not just standalones, but series type books? Uh, yes, because that also helps you develop your character. Mm -hmm. So if you made a mistake in the first book, uh, you can fix it in the second or the third by giving the character more depth. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my End Times Alaska series, I got some reviews that said the one character was way too flat, way too one-dimensional. Mm. And I looked at it and I said, I can see how they, they get that impression. So we really took care of it in one of the later books by, by killing off said character, much to some people's chagrin, uh, my wife most of all, uh, and uh, <laughs> then uh, wrote it differently on a round two. And that was very, very well received by the readership. That's great. That's great. Well, hey, Craig, um, this has been a, an absolute pleasure and a privilege, and you've helped tons and tons of writers just by sharing your story and giving us tons and tons of things to think about. Um, what would be one, I always ask authors this, what would be one bit of advice, bit of counsel on your experiences on becoming a writer, your journey? What, what are the things that you need, writers need to do uh, it's just gold advice. Do this, and this will help you a lot in your writing. Ready, go. <clears throat> Probably the single most important piece of advice I can give, which is from my business consulting career, is you can't think of the end result, uh, the end goal, as your, your thing. Uh, I worked with one company that said, I want to be the number one company in this product in the United States. Well, you can't control that. What you can control is all these steps in between, which if you do them, you hopefully will get there. But what if the company that's that number one buys two, three, and four in between? Uh, now you're going to climb an insurmountable mountain. If you want, I want the number one New York Times bestseller. You can't control that. But what you can do is write a great book, put a great cover on it, 
do a blurb that draws people in and then market it like a fiend and its brothers two, three, and four, and five. You can control those things. And now people buying it, reading it, and liking it, that's you can influence that, but you can't control that. So my most important advice would be understand what's in your control and control that. That is wonderful, wonderful advice, Craig. Uh, really appreciate you and, and your taking the time and where can people find you and also what are you uh, working on right now? Okay, you can find me at craigmartell.com that's C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E dot com uh, you can jump on your Wi-Fi Penny's a freeloader uh, uh, is the password um, and uh, come on man you're not a big bang theory you can, yeah, oh come on that's sorry. great yeah, um, I watch it sorry <laughs> uh uh, but you can find me there on my, my webpage, craigmartell.com, or on Amazon, any of uh, the books I write, uh, Terry Henry Walton Chronicles. Um, and what am I working on right now? Well, I have uh, number three on my screen from my space opera, but uh, I am going to clo- close that. I'm going to write a few notes of what I was thinking for the plot. I'm going to close that. And I am going to open Terry Henry Walton Chronicles book six because I already have the template set up in the first uh, few paragraphs. And I am going to jam away on that story because it's right here and I I already see it in my mind. And I I like both stories, but this one is right there. So why not tell it while it's it's fresh? Great, great. Well, that sounds exciting. I look forward to seeing that and all of our our listeners too. So go check out Craig's books. You'll enjoy them. And thanks again, Craig, for your time. It's been a pleasure and I hope to talk to you again soon. Hey, thank you very much, Ron. I really appreciated being on. I'm sorry I just I didn't answer your questions all the way. I get uh, offbeat. Like most writers, I'm sitting here by myself. But unlike most writers, I'm in the middle of nowhere whilst uh, sitting by myself. So all right. you yeah. have a great have a great day, Ryan. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world. And head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.